and I think we've got success. Well, it's great to see you all today. Um, absolutely love being here. Absolutely love the worship. Thank you both so much. Worship is, uh, is amazing to me because I know when I'm sitting there singing along, it prepares my heart to hear from the Lord. And uh, boy, do we need that. We certainly need that this weekend because I've got some difficult things uh, to go over here. So make sure your heart's uh, ready to hear those things and, uh, and we'll see how it goes. So uh, several weeks back, some, uh, some current events happened. And uh, during that time, the, the Spirit really kind of laid on my heart uh, a couple of things that I'd been pondering over the weeks. And sure enough, because that's the way God works, a few weeks later, Pastor Steve asked if I'd be able to, uh, to teach today. Um, so apparently the, the Spirit would like me to share that with you, so that's what we're going to do. Um, look at that, this even works, that's great. So, uh, in preparation for today, I also came across a uh, Facebook post. Believe it or not, the, the Lord can even work on Facebook, isn't that amazing? Uh, he's not afraid of the technology. So, uh, what I found uh, was a, a comparison of uh, things that men and women do differently. Um, and I picked a, a couple of my favorites. So, on the, uh, on the matter of money, a man is going to pay $2 for a $1 item that he needs. A woman, however, will pay $1 for a $2 item she does not need because it's on sale. <laughs> Tell me you have not seen that happen. <laughs> bathrooms, another big uh, difference between us, right? A man has six items in the bathroom, a toothbrush, toothpaste, a razor, shampoo, soap, and a towel. We're good. A woman, however, uh, the average number of items in a typical woman's bathroom is 337. A man would not be able to identify more than maybe 20 of these items tops. Dressing up, yet another big difference, right? A woman will dress up to go shopping, water plants, empty the trash, answer the phone, read a book, and get the mail. A man will dress up for weddings and funerals. And then, of course, this, uh, the, again, this is from Facebook. I'm, I'm not making any of this stuff up. Uh, the, the very end of that had a little bit of advice I, I thought was uh, kind of interesting. It says, a married man should forget his mistakes. There's no use in two people remembering the same thing. <laughs> so, you know, we, we laugh about it, but there's, uh, there's a little bit of truth that lies in all of those. Some of my favorite stand-up comedy is the difference between men and women. There have been books written about it, lots of really interesting, entertaining things, a lot of comedy about it. And what makes it so funny is there's small little bits of truth kind of buried in there. And so it's fun for both of us. Um, but in all seriousness, there is some legitimate differences between men and women. And, uh, and, and our creator put them there. Um, we spend a lot of time talking about men and women being equal. That's very important to us. It's uh, ingrained in culture. We have things uh, going on in the work culture, in the political arena, all of that, making sure that we understand men and women are equal. But yet we've got some pretty big differences, don't we? Uh, in some cases, society's even gone so far as to say there's no difference at all. You can pick your gender. You can decide to be a man if you were born a woman. You can decide to be a woman if you were born a man. That's what we're told, and that's what we're, uh, we're seeing. So that brings me to the, uh, the trigger for uh, where this is coming from. Most recently, and I'm sure you all remember it, our Supreme Court made a decision 
just one small step in this, uh, this direction that, uh, that we see everybody going, says that states must recognize marriage between two men and two women as a valid marriage. You can be two females, can get together, get married, and the state has to recognize it on a federal level. We know this is wrong. Most everybody in this room here, it's, it's gotten you riled up a little bit. I know some of us have lost sleep over it. We know that this is not the way things are supposed to go, but then here we have uh, the Supreme Court saying this is the way things are gonna go. But why? Why does that bother us so much, and what is, uh, what makes that wrong? We know there's scripture against it. In fact, many of us have gone and reread that, you know, in, in light of what's happened. We know the Bible says that it's wrong, but we can often get even more than that. The Lord has seen it fit in a lot of cases when you read your scripture to explain why things are the way they are. And I believe that the reason is is that God has a plan for men and women, includes marriage, and same-sex marriage violates that. He has roles, he has a plan for each of us outlined, and he expects us to go by his plan. So we're going to go ahead and rather than focusing on gay marriage, which is the big topic of the day, I want to focus on what are we supposed to do? What does a correct marriage look like? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? I want to focus on those because I think with that, we'll be able to bring everything else into context, and it makes it a little bit easier to understand. And let's face it, it's a lot better to dwell on the good things of the Lord rather than the bad things of the world, isn't it? So we're going to, uh, we're going to get into uh, a lot of that. Um, one of the things I wanted to put as a caveat, a lot of the scripture we're going to go through uh, discusses differences and uh, support between uh, men and women within the confines of marriage. And a lot of that, what we're going to go over, the roles of the husband, the roles of the wife, extend in a lot of cases outside of the marriage. Those are still valid roles. So for those of you that are single, have never gotten married, haven't gotten married yet, whatever the case is, you need to understand that these roles still apply to you within the context. And we'll get into all of that as we go along. I just want to make sure that we don't lose any of you because this is relevant, I think, to everybody in this room. So we're going to go ahead and start with God's plan. Where else should we start but the story of creation? So we're going to start off in Genesis chapter 1. I think this gives us a really good outline. Uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 26, saying, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Number one thing we need to understand, having just gone through that, we were created in the image of God. That cannot be stressed enough. That is important. What does it mean to be created in his image? When you get up in the morning and you look in that mirror, if you're on your A-game, if you're doing exactly the way we were designed to be before sin, let's, let's face it, You'd look in that mirror and you'd see Christ looking right back at you. That's what it means to be in his image. We should be like him. We should reflect who God is. Now, sin is a violation of that image. When we find ourselves in sin, we're no longer like God. God does not sin. God is perfect in every way. 
So when we get up in the morning and you see that shower steam on the mirror and the spots and who knows what's been building up there since we last wiped that mirror down and you can't quite make out your face and you're trying to figure out if you've got your hair done right, you can't quite see through it, that's, that's sin. It's getting in the way of God's image. So bring it right back down to the basics. We are to reflect God. That's what a good walk with the Lord means. How do we reflect God? Genesis, again, I think is a foundation for all of this. He outlines exactly what life was supposed to be like before sin, right? So first off, we've got uh, some real easy plans before centered into the world. Um, Men, your job is to be men and to rule over the earth. Women, your job is to be women and rule over all the earth. It's real simple before sin gets in the mix, isn't it? We've got uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, brings us uh, a couple of chores. And then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Uh, I'm in the wrong spot here. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. There we are. So we've got a new rule there. Keep the garden. That's pretty simple, right? Genesis 2, 18. Things start to get a little bit interesting. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. We now have woman. Woman's job help the man, right? God made women as a helper. It's in the order of creation. So let's, uh, let's read on a little bit, and then we'll go over what that means. Uh, it says, uh, it goes on, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. He brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is really important. This sets the ground for marriage. This sets the ground in a marriage relationship with the Lord. God made Adam a helper. I want to spend some time on this because this is where things start to kind of break down and people start to take offense, but this is in Scripture. Woman was created to help man. Don't get mad at me. That's what Scripture says. But why does that make people a little anxious when we say woman was created to help man? Some of you who even really know your Scripture might even get a little bit anxious hearing that. It just sounds a little odd. But I want you to think about what that means, what a helper means, because the word is used elsewhere in Scripture, the same exact idea. Um, Let's take a look at another helper in the Bible. We have John 14, 15 through 18. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide in you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. 
Holy Spirit was a helper too. We're starting to get the idea here. Helper is not a bad thing. It's not a demeaning thing in any way. Um, bear in mind, uh, Jesus also says uh, another helper. He says, I will give you another helper. He's implying that he himself, Jesus, was here to mankind as a helper. Jesus is a helper. In John 5, 30, Jesus says, I can do of myself, uh, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus is a helper to the Father. He carries out the Father's will. This does not make Jesus less than the Father. In fact, we see Jesus in John 10, 30 says, I and my Father are one. So we have this really interesting concept where within the people of the Trinity, you can have one person being the helper to the other, sub submitting in love to the other, but they're equal. They're equally God. This is what we're supposed to be playing out here. So having said that, we understand a helper is probably a little bit different than what we see in uh, a lot of modern culture. It's uh, quite a bit different, in fact. So let's take a look and see how these, uh, these roles pan out in the garden. Um, as we continue on, it says, uh, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, God, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So we see original sin playing out right here. We see where originally our jobs were real simple, be man, be woman, tend the garden, that sort of a thing, and all of a sudden now we have this new complication because of this sin. But I want to take a look at where that came from. Um, we have some roles, and we're going to get into a bunch of those uh, just shortly on here. Adam uh, failed in one. He was supposed to protect the woman, and again, we'll get into that. But then here the serpent is speaking to Eve. Adam wasn't there protecting her in any way from him. He let her be deceived. He let her fend for herself. Eve, on the other hand, after being deceived, she took this sinful fruit, and she shared it with her husband. How's that for a helper? Here you go, have, have a helping of sin with you. So she failed in, in her duties there as well. And out of that, we see some weaknesses that I think are alive and well today. Um, Adam did not lead. That's a weakness in men, in men within marriages, men within churches. We have trouble not leading. It's so much easier just to step back and let things happen than it is to stand up and be the man God has called you to be. That's something we struggle with, and we continue to struggle with. Eve was deceived. Again, we can see uh, the continual struggle with there, in fact, is referenced in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. He says, uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. 
Paul was aware of our roles and our weaknesses when he instructed women not to have authority over men, and he brought it right back to the garden. What's interesting is it's easy to take a look, and it sounds like women are getting kind of bashed on that, you know, that, well, Eve was deceived, uh, Adam was not deceived, but then think about what that means. Adam wasn't deceived, but he still ate that fruit, didn't he? He wasn't leading either. So this leads to the curse. As a result of what they did in the garden, uh, we pick it up in Genesis uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Uh, the Lord responds, he says, uh, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrows and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So as a result, we have a, a couple of things that we now have to tend with because of the curse. For men, food is no longer plentiful. And again, we'll get into it. Men, you're to be the providers. So that's going to be hard for you now. Work is going to be difficult. See step one. You're the provider. You have to work. It's going to be hard. It doesn't end. It just goes on and on. You're toiling. Anybody here toil? But it does end. It ends in death. You're going to return to the ground. That's the curse, right? Everything was all fine until Adam decided he didn't want to lead his wife and that he was just going to go ahead and partake of this sin and try to blame it on her. You know, so let's be realistic here. Women, multiplied sorrow. You guys know what that means? Multiplied sorrows. Women have been oppressed, haven't they? I mean, we're not talking about the usual, the political correctness thing, but when you take a look through history, Women didn't have the right to vote. Women were traded as property. God never meant for that. There's being subservient to your husband, and that doesn't make you property. That's, that's not right at all. And also, I also kind of wonder a little bit the ability to feel sorrow. I know many women who break down into tears, and it's like they, they have feelings and emotions, and they can feel pain on a level that... Sometimes I wonder if I'm even capable of feeling. I, I almost wonder if that's to mean that women are capable of empathizing with pain and sorrow on a completely different level from the curse. Pain in childbirth, difficulty raising children. That one kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? I mean, we've got the, uh, the good drugs and the, the hospitals and everything that helps that now, but imagine 100 years ago when you were doing this without any kind of painkiller, without any anesthetic whatsoever. You know, that's uh, pretty painful. And then think also, again, we'll get into the roles of women, but if your role is to raise your children, to keep your house, how difficult is that? How much does that lead to sorrow when your children go against your will, when they, when they, they rebel against you, when you have nothing but love for these children and they just won't listen to reason? You know that you empathize with that. Again, that's, that's part of the curse. Desire her husband. Going a little bit into further studies on this one, um, and we really find that uh, I, I think what, what the scripture is getting at here is desiring the, desiring the role 
of her husband, having difficulty submitting. Because, and again, we'll get into the roles here. The husband is supposed to be the leader of the house, and the woman, in a lot of cases, has trouble with that. You want to be in control of those things. And for good reason. We'll get into that as well. Um, she's ruled over by the husband. Now, this isn't necessarily a headship, as is biblical, but rather imagine somebody being in charge of your well-being who is sinful, makes mistakes, messes up, maybe isn't even a good husband all the time. And then, of course, the final thing, death. Not just for man, women die too. We both got uh, that part of the curse. So we've gone through a little bit. We see where the curse landed us. We see what our, our roles are supposed to be in a perfect world. Let's go a little bit deeper in the various different roles of men and women, and they're all through Scripture. Um, Ephesians uh, chapters 5 and then even on into 6 is a really good place uh, to go and get a handle on uh, what some of these roles are. So we're going to go there. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Guys are getting real excited here, especially if you haven't been through Ephesians. That's some exciting stuff there, right? That's power, that's control. You know, you admit it, you're getting a little bit happy. But uh, it goes on. Let's keep going. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. For as the Lord does the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. When we keep moving and we keep reading and we start to get the context there, we realize it's not a power and control thing one bit. It's a responsibility thing. It's not as fun anymore. Now we have to be responsible about it. You are the head, men, of your wives like Christ is the head of the church. So let me ask you this. What did Christ do for the church? He died for his church. He sacrificed himself for his church. He didn't make the church go up and get him a glass of water or tell the church to stop watching some show because his show's on now or whatever the case is. That's not what submission means in the least. All right, so as men, as heads of your wives, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to keep her pure and holy. Had Adam been doing that when that serpent slithered around and started talking to Eve, Adam would have stepped right on in. He would have kicked him right out of the garden and said, get out of here. You don't belong here. He would have protected his wife. That's, that's why it's kind of interesting when you sit there and try to think, well, who sinned? Was it Adam who sinned or Eve who sinned? And who, who was first? 
gets a little bit messy when you start kind of taking in some of that deeper aspects behind it. So you see where this is going. Women were created to be a helper, like the Holy Spirit. Man is to be the head of the wife, like Jesus. We both have our roles. There's submission involved, but again, do you think Jesus and the Holy Spirit ever approach the Father and say, you know, tell me who's greater or who's better than the other? It's not about who's on top. They're unequal. They have their own roles to serve. Submission and sin, we've got to address that because that's a really tough one. What if my husband is just an absolute jerk? That's hard. That's, that's really hard because, again, this sort of submission was meant before sin, outside of sin. Perfect submission means you have a perfect head. So how can you submit to a poor leader who's unlike Christ? I like to take it to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 starting the really, uh, the, at the very beginning here. He says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. And they observe your chaste-wearing gold, chaste conduct, accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God for in this manner in former times the holy woman who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord whose daughters you are if you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror it's not easy there's no exception. There's submission. That's your part. Lord needs to work in your husband's life. If he's not being a good leader, that's not for you to be excused from your part. If you're not submissive, he's not excused from being a good leader in spite of that. Both causes trouble for the other. But God is dealing with us individually here in our own roles. It's not easy. And again, I'd be remiss not to point out the context in this verse. We take it just a little bit further. Uh, verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, love with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You ever think about that? Honor your wife so your prayers are not hindered? That, that should be a little scary. So we have some more roles here. Men, you are to love your wife. You are to protect your wife. You are to love the women in your lives. You are to protect the women in your lives. Women, submit to your husband and respect your husband. And again, that submission might come all the way down to work, where you're submitting to your boss, where you're submitting to another leader in the church, another teacher. Fill in the blanks where that, uh, where that applies, but we can see the roles pretty clear now. So let's move it on over to Titus 2. gives us a couple more roles and responsibilities. It says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women 
to love their husbands, to love the children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to save you. So we've got a lot of them now for the men. Be wise and clear-minded. You need to be in your scripture. You need to be equipped. Had Adam been wise and clear-minded, he already would have known what he would have said to the serpent as he's kicking him right out of that garden. You need to be ready for that sort of a thing. How can you protect your wife if you're not wise, sober-minded? You need to be ready to go. You need to be in your, in your word. You need to honor your wife. Again, remember, that that's your wife. She's there as your helper, and you need to protect her. You need to be good to her. You need to provide for her. And this one should hopefully cut deep with a lot of men. Be in control of your anger and your harsh emotion. One of the things that sets us apart different from women is when we do have those emotions, they tend to be physical in nature. We tend to get loud. We tend to do things that women wouldn't necessarily do where a woman might cry and feel upset and, and go and hide away. A man might, in some case, even get to the point of destroying things, even hitting. It, it happens. We need to be aware of that, and we need to be in control of those things. There should never be an emotion in a man's life that causes him to do something that he regrets later. We need to be in control of those things. I don't think the Bible would tell us that if it wasn't something that we have to struggle with at some point or another, being men. Women. Teach women and children, not off the hook, as far as Paul was saying, not to, to have authority over men. Still got women and children, right? You still have leadership qualities that the Lord is working in many of you. And your role is still to bring up other children to be the men and women that they need to be, to keep them in the word, to carry on God's message. And keep the home. That's an interesting one. It kind of brings us back to the 1950s, really. But it's not necessarily about that. It doesn't mean you have to stay at home. It doesn't mean that you have to cook dinner and so on and so forth. But it, it means that when the husband is providing for his family, the wife is providing for the home. She's taking care of things so that when the husband is away at work, he doesn't have to worry about something going on in the home that shouldn't be going on, about something that should be getting done that isn't getting done. It's, it's a sharing of the tasks is all it is. There's no one greater than the other. Uh, in fact, I will speak from my own experience that uh, you ladies who stay at home, your days are often way more worse than, way worse than mine. Uh, you, you have it hard. There's a lot of stuff going on that, uh, you know, in some cases there are days where I go in and even a bad day is uh, not as bad as some of the things going on at home that have to be dealt with and some of the hard work going on there. It's not about one being better than the other. It's about the two different roles being there. So Timothy 5.8 brings us to another very important role. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Notice the, word, the use of the word his. So guys, this is, uh, this is for you. You're to provide for your families. 
stay-at-home dads. It happens. There are circumstances. I would never even come close to judging any, any of that, but you are still in charge of making sure that your family is provided for. If your wife is out there earning the money, you need to be the support for her and make sure that that money is still earned, that she has everything she needs. So that's what it boils down to. So when we take a look at the various different roles that the Lord has for us, the jobs that he has for us, we find that men and women were not equal. We're, we're flat out not. In many physical aspects, I'm, I'm glad we're not equal. My wife looks way better in a dress than I ever possibly could. Let's put it that way. But, but seriously, we, we weren't meant to be the same. If God wanted everybody to be exactly the same, he wouldn't have created woman. He would have left them all the way Adam was. There wouldn't have been any change at all. It was part of his plan. We're not equal. We're different. There's no one higher or lower than the other. Uh, men and women are unique according to God's design, just as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in themselves unique. They're different. They serve different roles. They have different purposes, but they're all God. They all function as God. Just like they have separate roles, we have ours. Thanks to sin, however, we have our own separate weaknesses that go along with it. And so this is where we need to be sober-minded and pay attention to what our weaknesses are so that we can deal with them. Men, you are called to provide for your family. That's very clear. If you're not providing for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. That should be a little bit scary. You know, if, uh, if, if things are going crazy, if you're going deeper and deeper into debt and you're not doing anything and you just want to watch TV all night and not have to do anything, not work, there's, there's a problem there. You're to provide for your family, but the curse has you toiling. Yeah, it's hard. That was part of the the curse. You're not going to just jump on out there, tend to the garden, whew, rough day, and come back home and, and do your thing. You're going to work really hard. You're going to get laid off. You're going to lose your job. You're going to be out there digging ditches. You're going to be sweating, some of you. It's not going to be easy. That's the sin that we're, we're fighting against. We're fighting against the curse for that. You're called to lead. You're called to be the head of your wife, but, but the curse has her struggling against your lead. Remember that. So you're supposed to be a good head of your household and there's going to be some natural, inbuilt animosity that she's dealing with. Not to say that, ladies, you aren't overcoming it. I know many of you are amazing women and have really worked that out in spite of the curse to serve your husband the way God wants you to. And wow, you know, bravo to you. That's, that's hard because you are working against the curse to make that happen. But when it slips, when you're maybe not doing as good a job as, as you need to do, makes it difficult for the men to lead. And men, we sometimes throw our hands up in the air. All right, she can have whatever she wants. I'm, I'm done. That's not the right way either. It's hard. They're, they're back and forth. Women, you're called to submit to your husbands. But the curse has them struggling to be worthy of your submission. It's easy to admit, to submit to somebody like Christ, who is perfect. We know Christ is not going to let us down. We know he loves us more than we can imagine. We don't know that about our husbands, do we? He's sinful. He's going to mess up. He's going to mess up in some ways where he does not deserve your submission in the least, but, but you're to give it. That's hard. That's that struggle. You're, call, you're called to raise your family, but the curse brings struggle and pain with it as well. You're working with your children. They're doing things you don't want them to do. Some of them are growing up. 
leaving the house, they're still doing things you don't want them to do, and there's nothing you can do. It's hard, but you still have to struggle. You might know. Some, there are some mornings when we can, I can look at my wife and say, now we're going to get up. We're going to have to remind Jeremiah three times to brush his teeth, or he's not going to do it. We're going to have to tell Wesley this, you know, and, and you can kind of call exactly how they're all going to disobey in the various different orders. But that doesn't excuse us of being responsible to do that. It doesn't excuse a woman from raising responsibly a family. Now remember, this applies to everyone, not just husbands and wives. There's sin in the world is one half of it. There are families who have been broken apart. There are families where, ladies, you are submitting to your own headship in that family because you don't have a husband there and you're raising children and wow, I can't imagine. Same for men. We're missing that balance that God designed into us. We're missing, uh, you know, the helper, the, the head. And now there's one person that has to do both. And that's, that's hard. That's the nature of sin. But then in addition to that, as I said in the beginning, it goes further than just the family unit. Single men, you can, uh, you can lead others outside of your family. You can be a good leader at work. Think about military leaders. There are military leaders that are going out there, they're on the front lines and they're dying for the men that they lead just like Christ died for his church. They're giving themselves. Brothers, sisters, family, men can still lead. You don't have to have a wife to be the leader that God has built you to be. Even just simply a good boss being at work and doing what's right according to God. That's, that's leadership. Men, you can still do these things. You can still do all of them. Ladies who are single, you're built as helpers. Why do you suppose that so many women are nurses and teachers? It's not because women like being nurses and teachers. It's because you're good at it. Not all nurses and teachers are women. There are men, and they're very good. But on a whole, women, you were, you were built for that sort of a thing. That's the way God made you, and that's the way he uses you. So you can still bring people up. They don't have to be your own children. They can be other family members again. They can be students. They can be patients. I hear so many stories of, of you nurses out there that are sharing the gospel, that are praying for, for patients in all different stages of life. That's what being a helper is about. You're equipping people. So you're still filling that role. So it's not strictly within the confines of marriage, though that's where we see it expressed easiest when that marriage is working properly. So the importance of following these roles, we've seen that, you know, for, for example, uh, we're, we're, we're called worse than an unbeliever for not providing for our, our home. Why that is is because God has a plan. Remember, we're his image. We were made in his image. He made us for a purpose. He gave us very specific instructions and roles and duties that we were to carry out. Think of a carpenter who's building a project. He's got a nail. He's got it set up. He's got it ready to go. He reaches back into his toolbox, and he pulls out a wrench. What's he going to do with that? That's not what that nail needs. The nail needs a hammer. So if you are deciding you want to do some other role other than what God has called you for, in spite of that role, you don't want to be what God has called you to be, you're that wrench right now. And 
I would say through my own experience, God's going to do one of two things. He's going to either take that wrench and he's going to start beating you against that nail. And it's not going to work too well and it's going to be painful. And eventually that wrench is going to turn into a hammer because that's the way you need to be. Or even worse, he's going to toss that wrench back in the toolbox and find the hammer that's ready for him. That's, that's way worse. Imagine that. The Lord wants to do things, do amazing things through you. And if you're not prepared for it, if you're not trying to be his image as best as you can, you're missing opportunities for just amazing blessings by being used by God. So we're all equal in the love that God has for us. I'll read that off since it looks like I lost the projector here. Galatians 3, 28 spells it out. For anybody still hung up on the whole submission master concept, submission head uh, concept, Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean that there are no male and female. We can't take it to that conclusion. It doesn't make any sense. We know there are. But what it does mean is that while we are unequal and we're built for different things at different times, we're equal in Christ's love for us. He's not going to say, I died for men first and then women. He's not going to favor men over women or women over men. We're equal in that respect. That's where it counts. So to wrap it up, we know same-sex marriage is wrong. We know the verses behind it. Now we know the reason that it really tweaks a nerve with us is because there are roles that are to be filled out that aren't being filled out. We know that uh, it's, it's breaking God's plan. Now I'd also point out, if homosexual marriage breaks God's plan for those roles that he's filled out, that he's set about, about for us, so is divorce and adultery, domestic violence, failure to lead your family, failure to provide for your family. Those are all broken roles. It doesn't just simply hit with the the topic of the day, running on the TV. All of these things break down those roles and put us in a position where we're less the image of God. We know men and women are different. They're unequal. And we were designed that way. Fulfill your roles. Know of what your weaknesses are. We've gone through the study of creation. We've gone through and seen things that each of us struggle with. Know that you're going to struggle with it and plan for it. Roles and weaknesses are complementary. That's how marriages work out so well, is that they really complement each other. So know that as well. Know that uh, men and women are equal in Christ's love and his sacrifice. So my challenge to you is to assess yourself, work on living according to the roles God established while guarding against the weaknesses you have due to the curse. So let's, uh, let's take that to prayer. Father, again, we thank you for making us the way you've made us. We thank you for setting out a plan for each and every single one of us. And Lord, we even thank you for making men and women so uniquely different and beautiful on their own. Lord, we just ask that you would uh, speak to each and every single one of us. Speak to our hearts. Help us know what it is that you have in store for us next to make us a better man or woman that we are today. 
just ask that you would uh, work in our lives in a very real way. Help us to see the differences. Help us to forgive the differences, Lord, knowing that it's not a uh, fault in our significant other, but rather a design that you've created and something that we are to cherish and adore. Lord, again, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for being the model for both men and women to fulfill what it is you have for us. We thank you for dying for us. We thank you for conquering sin so that in spite of the curse of this world, we can still grow and become better men and women in you. And we thank you in Jesus' name.